This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hey guys, and welcome to today's episode of Gen Z Money. Today is our final episode in our First Home Buyer series. I really hope you guys have enjoyed this series. And today we're going to be talking about buying a home with other people. So if you've ever considered buying a house with your partner, with siblings, or even with friends, we're going to go through a bunch of questions that you may have on that topic today. We've got John joining us again from My Millennial Property and Solver Wealth. So let's jump right into it. John, thank you so much for joining us again this week. Pleasure to be here, Azaria. How are you today? Yeah, very good. Um, I can hear the birds in the background. Whereabouts are you? Ah, uh, yes, we're in the middle of New South Wales in a place called Cobar. Nice. Is it? It looks like a sunny day from what I can see. It's a perfect morning this morning. Yes, birds no, are singing as you can very hear. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Awesome. So today um, we're going to be talking again about buying your first home, but I thought we'd maybe talk about actually buying a home with other people and some of the potential issues or benefits that can come with that. Now, I've had a lot of questions from the community and they're either questions about buying with a partner or about buying with friends or siblings. So first of all, I might jump into some of the partner questions. So the first question we have here is, is it easier to get a house with your partner if you're married rather than just de facto? Um, yeah, look, it, it all depends on the, the lending capabilities at the time for the individual. So there's so many more things that come into play. Uh, for example, how much income you're both earning and whether you're permanent residents or Australian citizens of Australia. Um, so you've, you've got to factor those in, but essentially, if you're de facto relationship um, versus married, there's um, the the banks are still going to look at you as a as a as two people trying to buy a property. Okay, perfect. And then um, one of our followers asked a really good question, um, so I'd love to hear some of your feedback on what you've seen couples do. But in terms of couples who earn very different incomes, maybe one's on a low income and one's on a much higher income, what's the best way to split mortgage repayments? Yeah, it's a really common one. I think first and foremost, you've got to have that conversation of uh, do we want to split them up the middle regardless of our incomes or do we split them according to our percentage of income that we earn uh, between the two? So I think there's no one size fits all there. I think it really comes back to what the two individuals agree on, but and and that's the most important point. When I call it joint venture. You're you're going into a venture with another person, whether that be your husband or wife or or partner or best friend or family member. Um, you've really got to have a strong conversation at the start to make sure we're both on the same page. And and just splitting of um, repayments is just one of those topics that you need to get right. Yeah, I completely agree. Another really good question, a really common one as well is say, for example, I'm buying my first home with my partner, but my partner has already bought a home before. Am I still entitled to any of the first home buyers concessions that are out there? Yeah, generally speaking, the answer to that is no. Once um, your, your partner 
husband, wife, de facto has used uh, the first homeowner concessions, then that, that second person's not entitled to it at all. Um, and unless things change down the track, that's, that's the way it is today. Okay. That's unfortunate, but good to know. And then in terms of general protection from buying with a partner, um, I had another follower ask a really, really good question. So she has a deposit saved for a house and is wanting to buy a house um, and she has a partner that she lives with, so is technically de facto, but wants to make sure that the house is in her name um, and that if anything were to happen down the line, that the house would be hers. What are some methods of, I guess, protection that are out there to prohibit partners from taking a stake in a property that they didn't financially contribute to? Yeah, once again, another really common situation that people um, have uh, as part of their lives. Now, I think the first thing you would do is coming into that relationship, you'd get um, something drawn up to say that that person is the sole owner and that the other person is not making any contributions to that property. Um, if, if that changes over time, that's where it gets sticky. So I think it's just that transparency and having it documented right at the beginning um, so that everyone knows that 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 was the arrangement at the start. This person's already had a property. They've been making the repayments. Going forward, they're still going to make all the repayments. This other person's not going to have any part to play in it. They may be living in the property and that's where uh, down the track it it may get a little bit stickier. But um, yeah, I think documenting it right at the start is the key. If you haven't got it documented, then you need to go and uh, chat to a solicitor about that and getting that drawn up. Yeah, definitely worth the investment. And when you hear of people drawing up protections of their assets when they're in a relationship, you often hear people refer to prenups or what it's known as in Australia as a binding financial agreement. Is that the document that you're referring to? Yeah, prenups are really becoming more and more common these days, unfortunately. Um, (laughs) I really haven't had too much to do with them personally. Um, I've come from the handshake days, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think I think they're very they're they're very common part of um, people's practice now and and it does may not be as as uh, lengthy as a prenup but it might be just a single page document to to put that down on paper and and all parties agree on it and sign off on it uh, but yeah if you want to to go into a a thorough prenup that covers absolutely everything then then that's the steps you would take yeah. Yep, awesome. And then you you talked before, obviously, about the importance of having these conversations before you go into a house purchase. So for a couple that are wanting to do that but might find it a bit awkward to approach, how do you have that what if we break up conversation and what are some good points to consider when you're having that that talk? Yeah, I actually had this situation arise last year with – it was actually a friend who who reached out to me and said, look – um, I'm wanting to get married, uh, but I also want to present the prenup conversation to my partner. And I'm like, well, this is uh, this is dicey territory. Um, I've got no marriage <laughs> counsellor advice for this one. Good luck. Because um, I think 
it, it really comes down to the type of relationship you have and the ability to be transparent and and suddenly just throwing that conversation on someone could really throw them um, not understanding where they're coming from and their their point of differences along the journey so I think it's gradually building on that topic and and just getting an understanding from the other party as to what their thoughts on it all are um, I know with my wife um, without going too personal we 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 didn't we don't have a prenup arrangement, but we we're on the same page to understand what the outcome would be if if that actually eventuated. So, yeah, mm-hmm. um, hopefully it doesn't. But uh, yeah, you, you're putting things in place for worst case scenarios, aren't you? Yeah, that's it. And I think general rule is if you're if that conversation is too uncomfortable and something that you're not willing to have, then buying a house together might be a bit big of an ask. So definitely worth considering. <laughs> yeah, you, you might be further down the track than you think or you might not be uh, where, you, where you need to be. But in my friend's um, situation, it actually all worked out fine. He had the conversation. She was cool with it um, because he was coming into the, the uh, relationship with – quite a sizable amount of assets so it, it really does mm-hmm. need to be put into play because you do read the horror stories in the in the newspapers don't you yeah exactly and it's just a bit awkward these days because it's not like you can just wait until you know just before you're married your wedding day to have that conversation because there's de facto now so communication is the best relationship advice even when it comes to buying houses <laughs> absolutely <laughs> Awesome. So now I have some questions about buying with friends and family. So this is a bit more of an unconventional way of getting into the property market, but with property prices increasing, often pooling together resources is becoming a lot more attractive. Have you seen a lot of that lately, people buying with people other than their partners? Yeah, I actually, I this is how I started out on, on my property journey. I, I bought my first home with my sister and it was just... I don't know. The stars just aligned. We both said we wanted to buy a property. We both had some funds lying around, and and we we went and did it. Um, the there wasn't anything drawn up, but we just uh, we had a good understanding <laughs> of what we wanted, and 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 away we went. Um, it all worked out fine, and and we've since sold that property and went our separate ways. But um, I think. It, it does need to be more formalised than that uh, and it is an awesome way to get into the property market, especially with property prices having risen in the last three to five years um, astronomically. People mm. may be sitting around thinking, how the hell do I get into the property market in the next 10 years or, or, or longer? So mm-hmm. cutting the purchase price in two definitely helps that uh, via going in with a with a family member or a, or another friend, uh, but yeah, def, definitely love the idea. I, I think it can and definitely be a an awesome way to to invest and and I suppose spread your assets as well. So yeah, it's it's uh, it's a great way to get in, but I think you just need to have those um, good quality conversations at the start, as we said before, um, to to make sure we're on the same page. Yeah, for sure. So when people are wanting to have those conversations, I've got a few questions from our community. Um, So the first one is, is there a specific type of mortgage for um, non-couples who are buying a house together? Um, So I've heard of things like a property share loan. Is that standard or is it just a general mortgage that you'd be going for? Yeah, I think that's complicating it a bit. Generally speaking, there's a there's this standard loan that you would have drawn up where 
both of you are on the loan documents and, and both of you are on the title um, with to the percentages that you agree on. So uh, essentially what what used to happen when, when we first went about it was the banks would unfortunately take into account 50% of the of the asset being yours, but they would take into account 100% of the debt, which didn't help when we're going to service uh, maybe a second property or trying to get a loan somewhere else because you basically got double the amount of debt you have on the asset. Um, so yeah. moving forward into 2021, there's a lot of lenders that will take into account 50% of, your in, uh, 50% of the asset and 50% of the liability. Uh, which is great, but just be wary out there that there may be some lenders that still take into account 100% of the uh, debt. That's really interesting. So that'll be giving you a bit of a negative net worth, even though technically you only you only have half of that debt. So that's really interesting. That's good to know. Mm. Yeah, and I can see why the banks have, are doing it. They perceive the risk of, of saying, well, if, if a friend could just take off and not make any repayments, so the other person's mm. left with it. But in a general husband and wife scenario, that could happen as well. So, yeah, just need to watch out for it. Yeah, for sure. So when you, if you are buying with friends or family, um, what are some of the obstacles that you might run into in that process? Is it generally more difficult than buying with a partner or buying alone? Generally, the the difficulties lie within the two individuals. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think the concept of buying the home is still the same, but it's two people trying to agree on what it's going to be, um, and and how much are we going to spend and what deposit amounts are we putting in and, and how do the running costs work and, and so it, it's understanding each other's personalities would be the first thing I would look at and say well does this person really suit to go into business with because essentially that's what you're doing you're going into business mm. with another person albeit you won't have your day-to-day runnings like a true business, but you're still in a business relationship where you have an asset together, you've got liability together, and you need to correspond in a way that's that's going to give you the best result uh, because it is a business transaction. Yeah, for sure. And then is there anything that people should expect from the banks? Would they be getting any pushbacks or any further requirements than your average couple? I I think the big one would be... Uh, how squeaky clean are both of us as individuals? And mm. we, if one of us is coming to the party with lots of debt, that's not going to help the the joint venture to begin with. So, just the the banks will look at two individuals buying a property get together. How many green lights are they getting based on their income, based on their liabilities, based on their expenditure, based on everything to do with their the running of the the individual lives, and then they combine that together to to say that this is how much you can lend. Now go and buy a property. Perfect. Yeah. Because my next question was going to be, how is serviceability assessed? So they're kind of pulling everything together and treating it as, yeah, a joint venture. Yeah, that's right. And and when, and I actually wrote a chapter in a book um, a couple of years ago on joint ventures um, and having done it myself numerous times, I've, I've got a reasonable feel for it. But the, the first thing I ask people when they, they say to me, look, I want to do a joint venture is, well, why? Why do you want to do a joint venture? Because there are complications that come with it. They're unbelievable in the in the fact that you only have to put in half of the deposit. However, why can't you do it alone? 
why can't you buy that property that you want alone? Is it because of your lack of serviceability, which is your income? Um, or is it your lack of cash savings uh, as, as a deposit? So usually it's one of those two things. So you've got to then find someone that, yes, is on the same wavelength in terms of personality and communication, but also they're bringing something to the table that you haven't got. Yeah. A- an example of that, I did a joint venture probably about three or four years ago now um, with, uh, with a friend and as a business owner, we don't always have the highest of incomes because of the tax deductibility of a, of a business, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> um, he had the higher income, I had the deposit. So we went in and, and I had what he didn't have and he had what I didn't have and, and it worked out really yeah. well. So yeah, asking yourself, what haven't I got? And who can I find that, um, that that fits the bill? Yeah, absolutely. And then I would assume that most people, when they're going into a bit of a joint venture, they're going 50-50. So 50% of the house is mine, 50% of the repayments will be mine. What do you do in the case that someone maybe only wants to take on 30% and the other person wants to take on 70 Are the banks generally okay with that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely they are. You, you just need to state that. Um, who makes the repayments? The bank couldn't care less really as, as long as someone makes them, right? So <laughs> uh, I think it's really just stating that from a legal point of view that someone has 70% ownership, the other person has 30% ownership and the repayments are just worked out um, as, as two individuals as per normal. But again, going back to the start of it, before you actually go and transact on a property, you need to have a good conversation with each other and have something drawn up by a, um, a qualified solicitor. Yeah, for sure. And then when it comes to the end of this journey, say this journey is ending for whatever reason, I guess one of the situations people would be concerned about is what if one person wants to sell and the other person doesn't? How do you manage that? That That's a, a common one, isn't it? Is people's lives change over the journey. When we first got together to buy this property, our situation was pretty straightforward. Now, I don't know, for example, a partner might come into someone's lives and all of a sudden they want to sell their share because they want to buy a property together. That might be a common one. So yeah. first of all, um, you can buy a property in, in one of two ways. You can buy it as tenants in common or you can buy it as joint tenants, right? Now, I don't know why they've used those two so closely together because they're, <laughs> they're very different, but let me give you a quick example. So a t- a, if you buy as tenants in common, if you and I bought a t- property together, um, I can choose what I do with my share of my property, right? And so can you. If, if we buy as joint tenants, then my half is left to you and your half is left to me in the event of death, for example. Okay. So we need to make sure that when we buy these properties as joint ventures, we are tenants in common and not joint tenants. Okay. Mm-hmm. Once you've got that sorted out, which again, a good conveyance a solicitor will work out with you at the start, you then I think have maybe some lines in the sand that say, right, in two years time, we're going to have a conversation around 
are we going to keep this property or are we going to sell this property? We should have had a strategy to begin with to say, well, this is a long-term buy and hold or this is a, a renovation and flip or this is a mini development or we, we should understand our strategy before we buy. But then there'll be some time periods that we might document to say, right, at year two, we'll have a conversation. Are we both cool to keep going with this? Yep. Okay, great. Let's do it. If not, one of us sells and and how we work that out. We might then have another documented period that's year five and and then assess from there. So I think when you've got those lines of communication open like that, we we would know that at any one time, one of us may want to get out of this business venture. So the other person's got to be thinking, well, how do I go about this? Um, Am I going to buy that person out have I got the, the finances to do that or are we just going to both sell? Yep, really, really great considerations. That's probably most of the questions. The last one is just a general curiosity question because um, I don't know that Google would really tell me the answer to this one. How many people can you buy with? So how many people can actually go on a mortgage at once? <laughs> I, I actually don't know the answer to that. Um, <laughs> I've... It's very common that if, if there's more than two people, you'd probably set up what's called a, a, a unit trust where you oh, would have yes. directors of that trust and beneficiaries to the trust, etc. So I don't know if you would have four or five individuals just sitting on their own on the on the title. Um, look, it may happen and, and I don't know the, the answer in terms of the number that you could have, but all mm-hmm. I know is from a logistics point of view, the more people you have, the more complicated it gets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably why you don't hear of it happening very much. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. And, and when, when I'm trying to buy p- property off people, off um, family, for, for example, when it's um, their beneficiaries of, of someone that's deceased, there's like four sisters or, f- or three brothers. Like it's actually a nightmare to deal with because they've all got their own opinions. They've all got their own thoughts. They all think it's going to go for higher than it should. And, and mm. yeah, as, a, as a potential buyer, it's a nightmare. Yeah, sounds very messy. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, John, for not only um, answering our questions today, but for jumping in on this whole property series. It's been so good and I have learned so much. So thank you. No worries, Azaria. Pleasure to be here. So if anyone wants to keep in touch, John, and follow on what you're doing, where can they find you? Yeah, so my main website solvewealth.com.au. Uh, obviously, we do a bit of a property podcast called My Millennial Property and I'm on My Millennial Money as well. Uh, we, we have a buyer's agent service called Envisage Property, so E-N-V-I-S-A-G-E Property, uh, which yeah helps helps people find property on their behalf or we go in conjunction with them to find it together. So yeah, that's pretty cool as well. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, John, and I'm sure we'll see you in a future episode. Sounds good. Thanks, Azaria. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. 
This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.